Thank you for listening to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors, and if you want to check out this company, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. Co-hosts today are Brad and Carrie Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle, and if you want to check out everything that they have to offer, go to MuskieMayhemTackle.com. So, we don't have a guest today. What we had was a few people that offered up their in- input on a post that we had made on Facebook, and they kind of wanted us to break down, I would say, in more layman or weekend warrior terms what you know about musky fishing they said we don't want to see we don't want to listen to the same old same old with guides and lure manufacturers which we totally understand and we're we hear your comments and we hear your concerns and we're trying to make this year podcast because that's really what it's all about so in effort to do that brad carrie and i are going to do a i would say we're going to do like a two or three part series now I don't know what we'll call it, musky fishing basics or something like that. And we're going to just sort of talk about things that if you're newer to the sport, you know, you're going to, we'll talk about boat setup and boats and the differences. And we had, we had ideas to have a boat manufacturer on or not manufacturer, but a boat dealership on to talk about certain things. And we also had a deal to talk about some rigging with boats, but because of the current circumstances, most of those places are shut down. So we can't we're not, we don't have access to that information right now. So what we're going to do is we're just going to break a few things down. And, you know, like Brad will be able to bring like the pro side of it. And Carrie and I can bring like the weekend warrior side to it. Because, yes, I'm, I have a company within the fishing industry. But at the same point, I'm not, I'm not a pro. I'm not a guide. I fish as much as I can, which sometimes is a lot. And other times it's not a lot. And I need to... I need to go on the water and break down the water every time I'm out there, just like everybody else has to do. You know, I still got to try to find the patterns and I got to try to figure out what's working on the water. Now, I also have a fairly large network, so that helps me break certain things down. But there, the, my network isn't necessarily on the waters that I'm fishing. So at the same time, I need to I need to try to go through the process myself and figure things out also. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I think that Carrie and I can bring that side to it and Brad can obviously bring the guide side to it because Brad's on the water all the time so he can we can kind of compare and contrast things a little bit but I think for this episode we were going to start with um, just mostly talking about boats and boat setup is that right Brad? Yeah I would say that's correct Jeff you know there's a couple different questions and we'll get into that here shortly but you know don't forget that us guides, it's the same story. I mean, if you think about it, Jeff, if I haven't fished for three days, guess what? I got to go out and try to relearn those same patterns as well. I think people get hung up with uh, multiple different issues where they think, well, you're a guide, you, you know exactly what to do. That's not always the case. We have rough periods too, where the fish aren't jumping in the boat. So I just want people to realize that uh, the things that we talk about on this podcast and the stuff that really gets down to the nitty gritty, it goes back to fundamentals. And I think that's a a key component to this whole deal. I certainly agree. And then the other thing too, Brad, that one, one of the things people wanted to talk about was they're like, well, what if you don't have a $2,000, you know, side imaging unit, you know, talk about how we go about catching fish that way and how we go about laying out structure and whatever. So I think we'll go down that road too, because that was something that, I mean, for years I did it and I know you did too. We fished without them. I I mean, quite honestly, until 
last year, I didn't really, I would say last year, maybe the year before, once I started to get the better side imaging units, I started using it more. Prior to that, I would just go drive around and try to find some structure, not necessarily look for fish because it seemed like it was difficult to pick up fish. So we're going to go down that road. Also, we can talk to you about that. If you don't have one of those units, I mean, certainly don't feel discouraged. Like you have to have one. Much like anything else in this sport, it's an advantage to have them. We try to put as many different advantages on our side as we can, because sometimes even with all the advantages, the muskies still win. So we want to talk about that a little bit too. And I think that we can both offer some insight. And I know Carrie can too, because Carrie spends a bunch of time in the boat as well. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. You know, the good news is, is that I'm old. And since I'm old, I, I did start with just the sonar. I started before, you know, I mean, I honestly, my fishing career started when I didn't have a sonar. I fished from shore, then I got a boat and then, you know, on and on and on that transition of what anglers do. So I think we can talk knowledgeable about all of it and kind of the history and the transition of how things kind of came out. And I think we can even dive in and, and talk about an order of importance, if you will. So meaning that sonar is number one. I don't care what anybody says. You have to pretty much have sonar at this point for your boat control and such, so forth. But we'll dive into that more. I think today we're going to more dive into the boat side, correct? Yeah, I think based off the notes that we have here, we should talk about you know, pros and cons of certain boats. I mean, I know it's, there's going to be certain people of the, you know, that are listening to the podcast and this is going to be like way beneath them. And they're going to be like, this isn't why we come to backlash podcast, but we're trying to hit all demographics and all skill levels and all anglers. Quite honestly, the reason we don't bring on more weekend warriors is I don't, I don't know how to say this politically correct, but sometimes they have a difficult time coming on the podcast because they're slightly nervous, you know, they don't do a lot of public speaking. So that's why we're trying to handle this one, I guess, without that, even though, I mean, if we had somebody that was willing to come on that could handle it, we would definitely look at them. But, you know, and we've had guides, plenty of guides, Brad, that are a little bit nervous too, to come on the podcast. So the general guy that fishes, you know, one or two times a month, he's not quite up to par to come on the podcast. Yeah, I would agree. You know, it's a, it's a comfort zone, right? And if you're uncomfortable speaking, it's uh, it's not always the easiest, I would say. Right. But, you know, that takes time and everybody's uh, got different ways of showing that. And I think, you know, the neat thing about guides, generally speaking, when you get in a boat with them, you know, you're going to learn a ton with those people. They're maybe not necessarily capable of talking to a huge group, but man, when you're on the water with a guide, they definitely can open up and and show you a few different tricks. So before we dive into that, you guys got any uh, housekeeping items on the musky mayhem side? Anything new? Anything going on? Oh, there's always new stuff going on, Jeff. We're just waiting for some nice soft water and a little bit of a lot less snow since it's snowing right now. So we can go out and, and put a few hours on a few things and see how it goes. I think uh, one of the topics that we should talk about is we are still releasing every Thursday some of our old retro video stuff. So every Thursday morning at 6 o'clock, we are putting out another segment of our old past videos on our YouTube channel. And that's been really positive. I've heard a bunch of different noise about it, so that's cool. What's another one? I'm I'm trying to think. Oh, we do have another video that we're going to probably release this coming weekend on YouTube that's kind of a fun one with Matt Seifert and uh, a gentleman 
actually we had Andy Page on a podcast. I'm trying to remember when, June or July, maybe. July, but I think. It's a little segment about those two and Matt basically guiding Andy and kind of uh kind of a neat little deal. So anyway, we're gonna continue going down that path with the YouTube channel and please subscribe if you can and you'll get notifications when a new video is released and i'd like to see that grow you know this coming year i've got some ideas and some plans to to keep growing that arena if you will second of all backlash with their youtube channel i mean we're we're working on that and we do have the video edited for the install of si transducer the mega si from Humminbird on a aluminum boat. We did the fiberglass boat. It's been pretty well received. Now we're doing one on an aluminum boat. So stay tuned for that. It's gonna come shortly. Uh, I've got to look at a couple finishing touches on it. And then I think that will be put out there as well. Yeah, the only other thing is, is we are still working. We are still shipping. It is an advantage of living and working at home. You know, check out the website muskymanfackle.com and then i would say on the housekeeping end for us we are we're still getting product in there must be people working because we're still getting stuff i know recently we got a new color from supernatural we got a prism crappie color that we got from them so we have that in the madlocks and the headlocks that's pretty cool like carrie had mentioned we're still shipping every day because again same thing our shop is right here at home so for us as long as speedy or ups or usps or ups all of them come and pick stuff up we're still putting stuff out, so if you're looking to get gear for your next trip or your next season or whatever, because, I mean, quite honestly, I know we're all distracted with a lot of different stuff right now, but uh, the Southern Wisconsin guys are going to start in three weeks, and uh, musky season is going to be in full swing, so hopefully, you know, better times ahead, better, you know, just better memories ahead, I guess, be able to get out and enjoy some fresh air and do some stuff that way. So again, like if you haven't checked it out, check out our website. We've been, we've been still adding stuff. We still have new new stuff coming. We had a lot of stuff on order from earlier this year. And so we have, you know, new product, I would say, arriving daily. You know, the guy that's in charge of the website, he's not always the fastest as far as getting it all up, but he's working on it. I'll have to light a fire under him a little bit. And then, you know, again, we have the same thing going on on YouTube. We have, I still have a bunch of content that we shot last year and over the past summer or past year. So we've been putting that out. Today is, what is today? I think it's Tuesday. So the podcast technically, if you're listening to this on the day that we release it, we're within 24 hours less than. We're with 21 hours from release time. So we're way behind the ball, eight ball on this one. But last night I put out a YouTube video on how to how to work a bulldog. Nothing groundbreaking, but if it's one of the questions we get at shows and wherever, guys are like, how do we work these things? What do we do? So Steve Jensen talks about it in that video. So if you want, check out our YouTube channel. But anyways, enough about uh, enough about Musky Mayhem, Team Rhino Outdoors. I mean, we're 10 minutes into this thing. Let's actually get some value going. So boats. Let's talk about boats, Brad. Typically, there's two of them, two types, aluminum and fiberglass. I know that there's good and bad on both of them, and I own, currently I own two of them. For anybody that cares, I own a Tuffy 1760. That's a fiberglass boat. And I own a Lund Fury XL, and that's an aluminum boat. Pluses and minuses on a few of them. You know, Brad, I think you'll be able to chime in here anytime you want. But, I mean, one, a couple things stand, stand out. And, you know, quite honestly, when you're looking at a boat, you just you want to look at how you think you're going to fish it. 
you know, if you're going to fish from the front, you want to make sure your front deck is pretty big. You want to fish from the back. You want to make sure you got a nice big back deck area. I know Brad fishes from the back, but he also has clients in the front. So he wants to make sure that he has both things covered. So you also need to, you need to factor in that you need to factor in, you know, the, the water that you're going to fish. Quite honestly, the only reason I have a fiberglass boat is for fishing on bigger water. I don't want to take my little aluminum boat out on, on uh, big water, just safety in, in general. You know, that's the only reason. The other reason that I have an aluminum boat with a roller trailer is because some of the landings and whatnot that I have up in northern Wisconsin are virtually, they're not landings. You can't get a big aluminum boat or a big fiberglass boat in them. So you're going to go about, you know, you, you need some, I needed a roller trailer. I wanted to be able to push it off. They don't all have docks. They don't all have that kind of stuff. So I need something that I could get my boat into the waters that I fish. If you're fishing on a river, you know, a, a John boat might be better or a jet boat might be better, which we all know I want to talk about jet boats. Unfortunately, I don't have one yet, but so Brad, you want to talk a little bit about maybe you fire away on some fiberglass advantages. I'll talk maybe more about aluminum advantages or not advantages, but differences, I guess, because quite honestly, there's no one right answer when it comes to fishing boats because everybody fishes differently. Well, I think first off, what I would say is that this is a personal opinions. You know what I mean, Jeff? I, everybody has their own ideas of what that might look like. I'll share briefly, you know, what I'm running for boats. And I think I, I get a lot of weird looks when I tell people that I'm running a 24-foot John boat. The 24 John boat is basically a boat that I can use both for duck hunting as well as my trolling in the spring. And I love it because of the openness of the boat. It provides a ton of room for people. You got to use it, uh, come fish with me in it last year, Jeff. You know, it's a center council. There's tons of room for fighting fish. There's tons of room so that uh, the boat is wide open. You can actually move around in there and you can get a bunch of bodies in there. Being that I'm in Minnesota, you can only run one line per person. So this enables me to put four to six people in the boat. And now guess what? We've got, you know, four to seven rods in the water. That's huge. It really is. I mean, it's about the numbers. Second boat that I run for my casting side is a 621 Ranger. And last year I ran a 620, an older one, which is fine. I, I actually really like those hulls. But uh, the 621 provides a lot more room. As you said, with clientele on the front deck, they need room. The neat thing is, is if I'm filming or doing something like that, the 21 actually gives me just a little bit more room in the back for a cameraman and all the gear that you're going to be using. So you hit it on the head. You said you definitely need to figure out how you're going to fish and then kind of start looking at the boats from there. You know, one thing that I will definitely tell people, you know, and I've had this question so many times. We're guiding, they get a fish and blah, blah, blah. And they'll look at me and they'll say, you know, Brad, I can't do what you do. And I go, what's that mean? And they'll tell me straight out that, well, I don't have a boat like this. I can't do what you do. And I go, well, what kind of boat do you have? I mean, are you bailing water? Well, no. Then you got a boat that you can do anything I can do. You don't need a boat. A boat doesn't make a fisherman. And I think it's very important that that's drilled home because I've spent tons and tons of days on the water in an old Lund Rebel, 16-foot boat, 40-horse motor. Before that, I was running 9.9 motors on little 14 to 16-foot boats. I think people get 
a little bit skewed and keeping up with the Joneses, if you will. And I think it's important. It, the boat does not make the fishermen, plain and simple. So as long as you're not spending time bailing water, hey, you got a boat that floats, get out there. You know, I mean, you could compare that back to you forgot a boat that you own, Jeff, row trolling. Think I, about that. I mean, I do own that boat too, which I still do. I still have it. I just don't use it a lot. And you're right. I, I, I missed that one. But uh, getting back to boats. So, okay, I'll just tell a little bit of a story. So I don't remember what year it was, 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. I bought a brand new Ranger 619. I fished Green Bay all the time at that point in, in my life. And so that was great. But then my wife and I, we got this, this we got this uh, thing in our head to go and, and get a camp. We have a camper in a campground up in Pelican Lake area. So I took my 619 up there and I had fished up in that area quite a bit. And quite honestly, it, it was it stunk because I couldn't get the boat into a lot of these little lakes that I had. You know, there's some of them that you could. Landings were either shallow or rocky, you know, whatever. They don't have docks, that kind of stuff. So I bought myself a 1983 Tuffy Esox. I think it was still an Esox. It might have been a whatever. It's a 13 and a half foot long boat. Had a crappy Johnson motor on there. I think it was a, I want to say it was a 15 horse, but they had a nine horse motor sticker on it or nine, nine motor sticker on it because he couldn't, they were on a, a horsepower restricted lake. So that was the way they got around it with a little bit of additional horsepower. And quite honestly, after a little while, I, end, that's why I ended up selling my Ranger because I stopped fishing Green Bay all the time. And I'm like, I spend more time in this stupid 1983 crappy toughy. I wouldn't say it was crappy. Cause I mean, I redid the interior and I made it you know, work the way I wanted to, added a deck extension onto it, and just did some work to it. But point being is you shouldn't let your boat limit your ability to go fishing for muskies. There's lots of lakes that hold muskies and there's lots of lakes that can fit your boat. You know, get back to my older 1983 Tuffy. It had just your basic electronics on there. It was nothing real special. I think I might've had what they call Lorance structure scan, but Honestly, it was so early in the whole deal that I didn't even know how to use it that well. And I still could go out and catch muskies. I did it the old school way where I, I used the map a lot and dropped a lot of icons and waypoints when I found cool stuff. That was from just, you know, driving around and doing a little bit of trolling. And when I'm trolling, I pay super, super close attention to the locator. And when I'm casting, I pay really close attention to it, but not maybe quite as detailed as when I'm, when I'm trolling. So, you know, it, like, like Brad was saying, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to limit people based off of what they can afford. Quite honestly, that Tuffy, I think I bought it for, I don't know, like $2,000. It was just fine. I spent maybe, like I said, I upgraded the, I had to build a spot, put a trolling motor. I had to put a trolling motor on it. And then I had uh, cause a trolling motor is key. You know, also if you're pulling up to a spot and you know, whatever, drop an anchor or drifting with the wind or whatever, it definitely going to limit your abilities to work structure properly. But I, I made those couple of upgrades to it. I redid all the carpeting in it myself. I tore it all apart, put it all back together over the course of a winter. I did all the deck extension stuff myself. So with all that being said, I was able to be on the water for, you know, whatever, $3,000. I was using that boat way more than I was my $50,000 Ranger. Rangers were 50000 at the time. Now they're, you probably can't touch one for 70000 And so, like I said, your boat just... Make sure you select a boat based on the waters. Now, obviously, I was not going to be taking that boat onto out in the middle of the bay. But when things were going in the Fox River, you know, early season 
or late season, I had no problems taking it on the Fox River. You just had to make sure you were, you know, paying attention to what you were going on. Because even the Fox River, in certain parts, it widens out. And so you can get some waves and whatever. And it couldn't handle waves real well just because of how low it sat to the ground. But it made a really great musky platform, worked out for fishing two people. Those are types of things you don't have to spend $50,000 to get the best boat. I know sometimes we talk about high-end stuff and, you know, the the great stuff, but I just want people to know that you can do plenty well in a 1983 Tuffy. I'm almost willing to bet I put more fish in that boat than I did my Ranger. That's always interesting, Jeff. Well, I think we should dive in a little bit to kind of, you know, the two main differences, aluminum versus fiberglass, because like you said, that's the primary two that we're dealing with in today's world. But, you know, historically, aluminum has always been cheaper historically. Um, And there's several reasons for that. A lot of times because they're lighter, the horsepower requirement isn't quite at the same platform as a big heavy fiberglass boat. And because of that, you know, there's a positive to the aluminum boat versus fiberglass. Fuel economy becomes kind of apparent at that point. Well, yeah, fuel economy just on the boat itself. But are you you talking about tow vehicle too, Brad? You know, that's a good point. I never thought about that. But I would definitely say that that's probably a, a key factor as well. I mean, I know that's one thing that I look at because I've owned multiple boats. I can, I can kind of relate to a lot of this stuff, but you know, like my F-150, it pulled my Ranger just fine. It, it wasn't an issue, but my fuel economy was way less with my F-150 pulling a Ranger, or even if I pull my Tuffy and you know, my Tuffy 1760, that is my newer one. And Whereas if I pulling around my little aluminum boat or when I was pulling around my old Tuffy, I mean, my fuel economy was almost not like my fuel economy was great. My fuel bill was almost nothing compared to pulling those other ones. So, you know, if you have a tow vehicle, maybe you only have a, a car or a, a smaller truck or whatever, you know, obviously you're not going to want to look at those big heavy boats too, because you're also going to be spending more money on gas, which at 97 cents a gallon right now, it's not an issue, but it will become an issue again. I am almost willing to guarantee it. Now, unfortunately, gas prices never seem to go down like they have right now, which is a huge blessing if you've been out on the water. And I know there's a bunch of people that are out on the water. So that's always a good scenario. I would agree. I, I didn't really capture that in my mind about the tow vehicle side of it, but you're exactly right, Joe. Hey, once in a while, I come up with something good, right? <laughs> Well, I think I think you guys missed a, a big point in the beginning. First off, only buy the boat that you can afford. And then you can figure out, you know, okay, this is what lake I can get into it, with it. You know, this is where I need to be. This is where I shouldn't be after that. You know, it doesn't pay to go out and buy something that you can't afford to put gas in up front to even run it. You know what I mean? I completely agree. The other thing too is if you buy a used boat versus a new boat, there's a lot of times that, you know, I mean, boats depreciate quickly in the beginning, much like anything else, but they also seem to stabilize out for quite a bit. And that 1983 Tuffy that I bought for whatever, two grand to start with, it didn't depreciate any. I sold it for pretty much what I bought it for. I probably lost a little bit because of my time and whatever to put the carpet in and that kind of stuff. But I mean, you're not going to lose a lot of money on a used boat, especially if you buy one that's five, ten years old. If you get a reliable engine on it and the thing doesn't leak, like Brad had mentioned, you're pretty fine. So, you know, Jeff, you you touched on resale. And, you know, one of the things that could be a part of the equation when you're picking out a boat, that's for sure. 
And for whatever reason, it seems that fiberglass holds its value better. You know, that's a, a pretty broad statement. But at, at the end of the day, if you were looking on, say, Walleye Central through their classified ads, you will see that fiberglass seems to maintain and retain its, uh, its value. So that's a, a part of the equation that maybe is a decision-making process as well. Yeah, I won't disagree with you at all. Uh, quite honestly, when I sold my Ranger, they had increased so much in price that I barely lost anything on that one from selling it used just because of the fact that how fast they went up in price. I mean, it was unbelievable how much those things have jumped up in price. And, you know, I mean, boats in general have gone up a lot in price. It's kind of incredible, actually, how expensive they are to get into boats. But that again, getting back to the point that we've been trying to drive home is just buy a boat that fits into your budget. Don't go buy a, a Ranger because it's awesome. <laughs> or you're going to look awesome. You know, like you can catch plenty of fish in, in any type of boat. And even if you can't afford a trolling motor, you can still catch muskies. I would, uh, you know, if I was going to, if I was going to pick a couple things though, I would probably buy a less expensive boat with a smaller motor and make sure that I have better electronics and a better trolling motor. Those, those would be a priority to me personally. I don't know how that ranks with you, Brad. I mean, if you were going, if you could only afford x amount of dollars on a boat i'm assuming you'd buy an aluminum boat with better electronics and a better trolling motor and a smaller main motor than you would a ranger boat with although typically ranger boats don't come with crappy crappy electronics and trolling motors so i guess it's a, not an apple to apple comparison but i guess what i'm getting at is you would probably make sure that you buy the boat that can get the job done versus one that you're pushing and stretching your budget to get the job done i guess I would agree with that, Jeff. I mean, for sure. I mean, if you think about it, you got to remember, I'm a guide. And one of the things that uh, definitely weighs in my mind is that that boat is my office. And so if it wasn't my office, and when I did quit guiding there for, I don't know how many years, say six years or whatever, I basically said, Carrie, we need to sell this boat. This is dumb. You know what I mean? It's hard to justify an $80,000 boat sitting in the garage that you're not really truly using as your office anymore. So that's definitely a key component to it. And, you know, the other thing to this is you hit it on the head. Electronics are going to help you more than the boat is when it comes down to actual putting fish in the boat. So um, keep in mind when that office went away, we went from a 621 Ranger, a brand new one, to a 17 foot John boat. Because it still fished the same. You could no. still, well, I mean, we didn't fish muskies out of it, but we could still fish out of it. She says it fishes the same. I, I would totally disagree. So, you know, you go from a Ranger that I was running, a 621, and I always had two boats in the garage at any given point. I had a 620 tiller that would help me finish my year because I used to run a brand new boat every season. So I would run a 621. And at the end of October, I would hand that boat off to the guy that's buying it so that they could still enjoy it that for that rest of the year. And I would switch to my 620 tiller to finish my year till December 1st. All boats aren't created equal. And I guess we could, we could move into everybody talks about the bottom of the boat, you know, the beam. Well, that beam is way wider. We got to have a wider boat. That's not always necessarily, it doesn't mean that it's more stable. It, it might be more stable side to side movement, but when you start going wider and wider and wider, guess what happens? You've got more 
boat hitting the water as you break waves. They're not created equal. I'm sorry. You're going to end up with a rougher ride the wider that boat is, depending on what it is. Um, don't get me wrong. Manufacturers have figured out a lot of that. So they are definitely um, capable of still having a smooth ride, even though they're wide. But those are things that you need to experiment with. And, you know, if you have the opportunity to go out and play in a boat before buying it, I think that's a huge part of it, too. You know, maybe your buddy's got a boat. Go check them out. You, you can't, they're not created equal. So what I'm getting at is, is you definitely need to know what you're buying before you buy it. And then the disappointment won't be there on the back end. You can't hold a brake line with a John boat. It's plain and simple. And that's where I was going with this that Carrie just said. Wind is a big factor. And when you're fighting waves in a flat bottom boat, that front end wants to spin on you every time. That's why some of these bigger, heavier boats with a really good deep keel and all the chines underneath there definitely help you with your boat control. So there is a factor to that. And I think we need to talk about that. That's good that you said that boat control. Cause when you were going down mm -hmm. that path there where you were talking about two different types of boats and how they weren't created equal, I was going to say, because I've ran fiberglass and I've ran small fiberglass that, like I said, my old 83 Tuffy, that was a fiberglass boat. And now my, my Lund, uh, Fury XL, that's not, that's an aluminum boat. They all act differently in the water as far as your boat control goes. I know that if we have a fairly reasonable wind, it doesn't even need to be that strong. I'm going to get blown off my, I'm going to get blown around more on my Fury XL than I am with any other boat that I've been in. And that's, it's not a bad thing. I just need to work harder to make sure that my boat stays where I need it to stay. When I was running my, uh, my 83 Tuffy, that was a fiberglass boat. That didn't get blown around. It was a small boat, 13 and a half feet. It didn't get blown around nearly as much as my aluminum boat does currently. And then obviously when I was running my, my Ranger 619, that didn't get blown around at all. I mean, it, I wouldn't say that, you know, wind, it's not like you can go out in 20 mile an hour winds and you're not affected no matter what you're doing. It's going to affect everybody somewhat. It's just a matter how much you're going to get affected with it. And then same thing, you know, with my, my Tuffy 1760, although I don't cast out of it a ton, it's still, because of the weight of it, it's, you know, it's just one of those things that it doesn't get pushed around as much in the wind. So your boat control is, I, w I wouldn't say it's going to be better. Your boat control is going to be however good you are with your boat control, but it's going to make your boat control easier because you're not getting pushed around as much. I would agree. And then the other component to this, Jeff, is that it's time on the water. And when you put enough time in and you know how your boat reacts to different scenarios, you're going to become efficient. And efficiency is key when it comes to fishing. I don't care what species you fish. If you're efficient running your boat and controlling it, you're definitely going to have an advantage. You know, I got to tell you, boat control, the best way to handle boat control is just to go with a bunch of guides all summer long, like I do filming our YouTube stuff. I go hang out with you. You get to handle the boat control. I get to go up to Hayward with Steve Jensen. He handles the boat control. I go with, you know, Jeff in northern Wisconsin. He'll handle it. Jeff down in southern Wisconsin, he'll handle it. So I just recommend doing that. Forget the whole boat thing in general. Just hire a couple guides all summer long and let them handle all the details. You just worry about casting. It kind of started sounding like a lot of Jeffs there. I mean, maybe that's the key. Jeff. The name Jeff provides good boat control. I could be. I, I know it's <laughs> not necessarily my strongest point. If I had to work on one, 
if I had to work on one point, I would say it's probably my boat control. My boat control is okay, but I've seen good boat control and I know what good boat control looks like. And I'm not that guy a hundred percent. Well, that comes from time on the water, obviously. And I mean, the more you're going to run your boat, the better you're going to be at controlling it. So it's just time, you know, and, and learning what that feels like and how it's operating. So in every boat, I mean, I could jump in your boat. I'm not going to have the same boat control the first day that I would with my own. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I would agree. Quite honestly, some of the guys I've seen with the most exemplary boat control is the river guys that I fished with. Like I fished with Phil Schweik up in Wausau and, or that area. And I got to tell you, those guys on the river, man, they have to have, they got to know, they got to be dialed in because, you know, you're dealing with wind and current and all those different elements that really, really affects your boat control. So those guys, my hat's off to the river guys, because their boat control needs to be, you know, pretty spot on or you're going to be in trouble fast. Right. You know, I can think of an example of things that I've done in the past. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't need a kicker. I'm not a troller. But I can tell you. Sometimes that kicker motor will help you on big, really big windy days. Um, it was something that we used a ton up on Mille Lacs and some of the bodies of water I fish now. I mean, you have a 20 to 30 mile an hour blow. I'll run that kicker where it's just slightly pushing. I mean, it's basically just in gear, no throttle on it, but you're getting that propulsion from that motor and steering with your trolling motor. That definitely can be a factor and it'll actually help you keep your boat in line with the structure that you're fishing. So that's another way to help maintain boat control and big wind. I got to also wonder how many guys even fish really big wind. I know guides do it because they have to. Somebody paid them money to go fishing that day. It's like, okay, this is your day. We're going fishing. We deal with whatever mother nature has. If it's going to be 30 mile an hour winds where I got to go out there and use my kicker motor to control the boat, I'm probably not going fishing that day. Yeah, I hear that from time to time. It's an amazing to me because there's been times when you show up at the access, your clients are standing there, they're excited, and it's blowing 30 miles an hour, and you're like, I, it, it doesn't pay, guys. But, you know, they're excited, they want to go, and so a lot of times they're like, let's just go for it, let's try it, you know. And a lot of times we'll just jump back in the truck and we'll drive to a different body of water, but... There's other times where they're like, no, I want to be here and I want to learn some structure. I want to learn this or that. And we go out and we deal with it. So you're right. I mean, sometimes you don't have the choice. Maybe you're a tournament guy and you wake up to 25, 35 mile an hour winds. Guess what? You're fishing. It doesn't matter. So you got to be prepared. And, and again, it comes down to efficiency and how well you can maintain that control. So Brad, Gary, do you think the aluminum fiberglass thing i think we got it battled out a little bit or is there anything else you guys want to talk about well you know i think we definitely should talk about you know aluminum versus fiberglass as far as the shape of the boat and i think one of the things that a lot of times everybody thinks well it's weight it's weight fiberglass is heavier that's why it's a better ride that's why yes those are some factors on why it's nicer but you got to remember one thing they can only form aluminum so many different ways. And what I mean by that is, as they're shaping that boat, aluminum can't be formed in the shapes that you see a fiberglass boat. And that definitely is going to change um, quite a few different things. One being stability and also a drier ride. Fiberglass is gonna definitely provide a drier ride based upon how they can form that aluminum, if that makes sense. 
you know, and the other part of it is, is water entry. You know, if you look at the bottom of a fiberglass boat versus a aluminum boat, as you come off of a wave, you're definitely going to have a smoother water entry with the fiberglass boat based upon those shapes that I'm talking about. There's so many different factors, really, you know, if you think about it. It's a personal preference. It truly is. And I, you know, I think you touched on it in the beginning. Um, there's a lot of people that choose aluminum over fiberglass primarily on the waters that they fish. If you're fishing shield lakes, like say in Canada, a lot of guys are like, hey, they're, I'm dealing with so many rocks, or maybe it's in northern Wisconsin where there's so many rocks. Guys will choose that aluminum over fiberglass just based upon boat repair. So, you know, it, it comes down to personal preference. And I think uh, we laid out a couple different factors there, whether it be, you know, price, resale. We laid out fuel economy. You know, there's, I don't know how much more we can dive into this, but uh, I would just leave it with this, Jeff. You know, all boats aren't created equal. And I would encourage everybody to do some research before they go spend their money. And it's not about looking cool. It's about fishability and boat control. And I don't care if you're fishing out of a canoe, a kayak, whatever your choice is, you can still maintain and catch fish. Before we move on, Brad, the one thing I think I want to quick talk about that I don't know that we did much on was, I know we talked about fuel economy, but well, let's just talk about maintenance on, I mean, you talk about upfront cost, but you could also just talk about maintenance. And if you have problems with a motor that's say, if you have a 225 or you have a 40 horse motor, there's definitely a difference there as far as like, if you have problems with one versus the other, you're looking at, you know, just your maintenance costs on some of that stuff too, that people necessarily factor in. The one thing for me was, okay, so I was running a 225 on my 619 and I was getting close to outside of warranty on that thing. And I'm going, you know, if I don't have warranty on a, on a big motor, sometimes you wonder, like, what happens if I blow up my power head? You know, power head on that motor is, you know, could be what, 12 grand, I'm assuming, somewhere in there. I don't know exactly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you, you hit it right on the head. I mean, $12,000 for a power head, you know, anywhere from that eight to, 10, 12 grand. Yeah. It, it's definitely a factor that should be reasoned with and thought about because, you know, quite frankly, that motor is one of the biggest key components to the price of the boat. So it's definitely something to consider just the natural maintenance of four stroke motors, changing oil and so on and so forth, uh, lower units. They are going to be cheaper with that smaller engine. And I think that's a valid point. Right. And well, I mean, so that's what I was getting at. You know, when I went to my, when I went with my 1760, I was like, all right, so I got a 150 four stroke on there. So I'm like, okay, if anything happens to that, it's going to be, you know, cheaper for me to fix it or whatever. And then I, with my Lund, I think I just have a 440, maybe I got a 60. I don't remember either way, you know, like I can buy the entire brand new motor for probably half the cost or around half the cost of a powerhead of a 225 or a 250 or what some of these motors are. I mean, heck, Brad, on your 621, you might even have a 300, don't you? Yeah, that's a 300 on that boat. Again, keep in mind, it's my office, so it's a little different scenario to most people. But uh, I think too many times people just get hung up on shiny and new. And as I said before, keeping up with the Joneses, Jeff, and I, ultimately, there's other things to spend money on, your family and so on and so forth. And that should be part of this equation. And 
I don't know. I'm guilty. I mean, I ran new boats for 10 years. You know what I mean? I, every year I had either a 620 or a 621 from basically 2000 to 2010. And as I've gotten older, I just went, you know, I don't need brand new anymore. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make me a fisherman. So I'm at that point in my career where I'm just basically saying I can buy a used boat and be happy with it. I got to disagree with you on one thing, Brad. You said, okay, you buy a cheaper boat, so you have more money to spend on your family. I was thinking more like, hey, you buy a cheaper boat, so you got more money to buy lures from Team Rhino Outdoors and Muskie Man Tackle. That's where I was going with that. But, you know, if you want to spend it on your family, that's fine. (laughs) I mean, they need baits too. So (laughs) I I didn't say what you had to spend the money on. I just said, you know, you think about it. You got kids. You need to get them set up with a rod and reel. You need to get them their own tackle box fill that thing up there you go um, so there's <laughs> you, you got to look at the big picture here Jeff. i was concerned maybe you were saying like they should be taking them to disneyland and you know out to the park and the beach and that kind of stuff like no 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 that, <laughs> that doesn't work <laughs> no uh, that's for winter when we can't be in our boats exactly all right brad carrie i think we touched pretty well on the aluminum versus fiberglass and again the only reason we did that that part of that was just because we wanted to just try to expand your your thinking, get you thinking about different options that you have on the water, and hopefully you can make a, a good choice and an informed choice. Just think about different things. That's all. That's all we were trying to do. Sometimes with that podcast, this or with this podcast, that's all we really try to do is just try to change your your mindset a little bit. And I know if it's just you know, different guide approaches certain things differently than this person does. And it just gives you different opinions. We're not saying one's right or wrong. We're just saying we're just looking for you to, you know, expand your thinking a little bit and make your best choice. With that being said, let's talk about some choices because this stuff can be, you know, kind of a personal deal too is boat setup, Brad. That was another thing that people asked about was, you know, what's the best way to set up a boat or how do you set up a boat? And so, why don't you kind of talk a little bit about that? Well, I think it's interesting. You know, everybody has ideas of how they like their boat set up. And depending on how you're doing it, I myself, I guide from the back of the boat. So electronics on the bow really aren't part of the equation whatsoever. And, you know, if you go to five different boat riggers, they have five different opinions, right? But there's some basics to it. And I think we can expose some of those basics and kind of enlighten some people on what it is that's important and where you go with that. Again, people sometimes get hung up on uh, maybe keeping up with their buddies and they want to hang five different units in their boat just because it looks cool or whatever else. But there's a reason for all of those. And technology is great. But, you know, I, I would say this, Jeff, let's talk about electronics and the technology that we have in today's world. And I'll basically break it down into an order of necessity. And and this is my opinion, and I think it's important. And then from there, we can talk about how that looks inside the boat. But number one is sonar. You can fish without sonar. Don't get me wrong. It can be done. But, you know, sonar becomes a really key component when you break away from that shoreline fishing. And if you have structure mid-lake, Sonar will at least let you maintain a certain depth so that you can actually work that piece of structure. So sonar, in my opinion, is number one. Now, the next one is GPS. And then you could you could potentially say SI and GPS could be argued to importance. 
I'm going to say GPS is number two. And the reason I'm going to say that is primarily for locating structures mid-lake without having to take your time and actually look on SI. Or the other part to that, I would say, is that if you're running waters where navigation is, is an, an importance, you definitely want to have that GPS so that you're not hitting any obstructions in the water. So I would say GPS is number two, SI is number three. Um, and as I said, you could argue back and forth between those two because the neat thing about side imaging is if you're following a structure, you definitely can use SI to keep you in that zone, whether it be a break line and you can see that depth change or you can see a rock pile or even a weed line. So it can help you position your boat accordingly and give you that distance or that feel to where you need to hit that structure. So, you know, side imaging has been it's become a really important key in this whole thing. So it's definitely something that you need to talk about. Lastly, I would say that, you know, if you were looking at this, we went through one through three, which in my opinion are the biggest three. Then you could go into Panoptics Live Scope or now with the Mega 360 that Humminbird just came out with. And I'm hoping that I can run a 360 this year. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Um, I want a universal because I use a Tarova. And the one thing about that is, is they're not available yet. So I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I've, I've been waiting, chopping at the bit to see if I'm going to get one this year. And right now they're closed. So I don't know when shipping is going to happen. Definitely that's the order that I would say of importance. What's your feelings on that, Jeff? Not to just say that you're the greatest, because we all know the carry is, but I would, I would absolutely agree with you. I think the way you said it was sonar of some sort is of the absolute most important. I mean, quite honestly, that's your eyes below the water if you don't have anything else. So it's way easier to see bait fish structure, the whole thing, if you have at least some sort of semblance of sonar. So that's, if you, if you have to, if you have a boat, I would say that's at a minimum is sonar. Now, again, I would also go down the same path as you and say that GPS is for sure very important because, you know, once you find that structure, sure, you can line up the red house with that tree and, and play that game if you want to, but it's way easier just to drop an icon on that spot. So GPS is, in my opinion, super important. In, in Like you said, for you, for the way you talked about it, if you have sonar and GPS, you're already really into the game as far as being able to catch muskies. And I mean, you could, like you said before, you could do without it, but it's super helpful. It's going to for sure tip the scales way into your favor by just having those two things. We can talk about what we did before side imaging, how we caught fish with sonar and GPS. And I don't know if you want to do that on this, this podcast or not, Brad, but we can, you know, we can, we'll get into that in the next, either this episode or, or a following episode on what we did. Cause some people are like, well, what if we don't have the latest side imaging? What's, you know, we don't have $2,000 units or $3,000 units. But my assumption now is that you can probably get into a sonar with GPS unit for a very reasonable price. Now, I don't know what they cost. Brad, do you have any idea? Well, it depends on your screen size, obviously. And you can get into that whole setup relatively cheap honestly i mean if you're doing five inch screens i'm getting old my eyes are bad so i like big screens <laughs> a big screen definitely helps because you know you, you it's like tvs think about a tv 
do you want a 30 inch TV or do you want a 50 inch TV? Well, it's a lot more fun to watch on 50, but yeah, I think you can break into a combo unit. I'd say somewhere around $500. You know, I haven't priced those smaller units lately, but they're available out there and by all means, I mean, you're not breaking the bank at that point. I wouldn't say. No. And I mean, if you have them, that's, if you have a boat, those that should be like I said at the minimum you should have a GPS because that'll put you way farther ahead than anything else and then obviously like you had mentioned the side imaging would be the next thing that you'd want to look at of course because that's gonna it's gonna further help break down everything I mean to find rocks and in structure and stuff like obviously if you have sonar you can do what you need to do but you got to pretty much drive over it a really close vicinity of it whereas you can just find structure and break things down way quicker with side imaging not to mention that you can you know, in some cases you can find out that there's literally muskies right there. You can, you can mark them and see them right there. They can't hide. So that's obviously really important. And then, you know, to go on to the pan optics, live scope, mega, mega 360 stuff, that would be your fourth option. And I don't even run that. I've seen it. It looks awesome for sure. Something I want to do, but I can't tell you for sure that it's you know, put more fish in my boat because I have it because I don't have it. So I have, I have the first three, three options. I use all three of them pretty much every time I'm on the water. But if you, you know, like I said, if you wanted to go down that route, that would be something to do. And I, I can't even give you that much experience on it. If you want to go back to a further podcast, I think the one we did with Mike Olson, he talked about pan optics and how he uses it for seeing baits in different stuff and seeing fish and how they relate. And you know, so he was talking about how he thought his baits were running down at a certain depth, and then he sh he actually used the panoptics so he could see where they were in the water column. And it turns out that he needed to make some adjustments in his line lengths to get him to where he thought he was in in the zone before, and he wasn't. And it also he was talking about how he could see bait fish because it had pushed bait fish out into certain areas, and so he wasn't catching them on regular sonar or even side imaging because they were pushed away. I believe that's how the story went, and he could pick them up on the panoptics. So he had a better idea of how things were positioned in the water column based off of those. So obviously there are certain details that you can even get closer in on with those other technologies. But if you're just going out, you're a weekend warrior, get yourself a sonar with a GPS and then learn how to use those units to your, like use those two tools to your advantage. I would agree with that completely. I think, you know, we've, we've maybe provided some mumbo jumbo here in a sense, but you know, the biggest part to this whole thing is learn each piece to its fullest potential. And if you aren't, you're not really making use of the tool. The one thing that I will say, Jeff, you know, running the boat from the, from the, the back, when I'm running my boat from the back, I always have my transducer depth at my feet. And the reason I do that is, you know, you think about 21 foot of boat, I'm going down a brake line. If I'm waiting for my rear sonar to tell me how deep it is, my boat could already be crashed on top of the structure. Follow me? Oh, yeah. I definitely get it. So definitely, you know, having that sonar off the bow of the boat. What I do is I will run a GPS sonar unit. I run my GPS screen with big block letters in the corner of what the depth is. I don't care if there's bait fish below me or anything else. My, my other units can provide that information. I'm using my map card as a reference. And I think a lot of times everybody just, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people believe that, well, I got a map card. I don't need to see my sonar. Wrong. Map cards are not completely accurate. And you're going to miss a lot of things if you aren't paying attention to the depths 
and just working off of a map card. And I think it kind of brings me into another realm where I started before GPS. Um, I think my very first GPS was in my 2000 Ranger 620. I had an old 350A, and this is prior to map cards. And I learned how to fish and maintain boat control all based upon depth. And I fish a lot of structures or a lot of lakes that provide structure with steep break lines. And so running a certain depth can definitely be the key to putting more fish in the boat. So with that being said, I learned the old school way by running my boat only off sonar and was able to maintain those certain depths around those structures based upon the depth. And so that's kind of how I'm geared and programmed. And I would say it's probably more of a gearing of like a walleye guy. And I think a lot of times walleye guys have better boat control just based upon those, those factors. The second part to the equation is once map cards were available, it was, it's really interesting. I see, like myself, I'm going to be 50 this year. I started without GPS. I then seen that whole thing kind of come about and how GPS has kind of changed the world with map cards and so on and so forth. All the time that I spent on the water was now handed to you with a $150 map card. The newest part to this whole equation is side imaging. And so if you were to look, I'm going to be 50. Your guys that are 40 years old pretty much only relied on map cards, if you will. And I, I mean this in a general way because they, I'm not saying every individual by any means, but the newer generation where they're 30 and, and younger are all talking about SI. And now you're starting to see that new elevation of the newer technology that we brought up. So it's really interesting. In my opinion, boat control should be maintained by depth. That's, that's the one thing that I believe in. All the other parts are references, if you will. So then I got a question for you. Do you think the people, the the newest of the fishing generation, the 20 to 30 year olds, because they're, I'd say they're brought up on side imaging for the most part. Do you think they, you, do you think they utilize sonar and GPS to their full extent, full extent? I don't know. It's, it's strange. I mean, each one of those components, you know, definitely provides something, but again, I would say that it's very important to, to really learn each piece of that puzzle and and make sure that you're efficient with all of them i don't know that's a good question i'm not really sure i mean my best example is matt seaford and when the, he comes to mind when it comes to si and he's the one that really convinced me brad you need to get on si i i had si back uh, before the mega came out um, i'm trying to remember what year probably somewhere around 06 and I had one boat set up in Humminbird and one boat set up in Lawrence. I used them periodically with the side imaging. And I went, you know what? This really isn't necessary in my opinion. So I really didn't use it. And not until Humminbird came out with the mega imaging, that changed the game. It definitely changed the game because it became more apparent what you were actually doing. So there's different ways to look at that. To answer your question, I know I kind of broke off, but I need to fish with more people younger than 30 years old, I would say, to to really get a good understanding of that. But Matt definitely trusts his SI more than he looks at his map and GPS. And he doesn't even really care about the sonar depth because he feels that side imaging provides him every key component that he needs. 
Yeah, I'm not quite to that level. I still use my sonar depth quite a bit. I still even have my map up quite a bit on for my map card and my my waypoints. I don't mark waypoints like I used to because some of it's so some of it's at the tip of your finger because of the map cards being as good as what they are. So I don't GPS. I mean, I I used to mark icon after icon icon after icon all the way you know all the time. Like if I found a weed bed or a rock bar or whatever, I'd mark you know, the whole thing. Well, now a lot of that stuff shows up on map cards aside for like, if you fish some of these smaller lakes that I fish though, a lot of that stuff isn't on there. So you still need to do some of the work. So then the other thing, Brad, I was going to ask you is, you know, like boat setup. So you fish out of the back. Do you think that as a weekend warrior that you're better? Like I know probably 90% of the guys, I bet you it's even higher of weekend warrior guys are all guiding or not guiding, but fishing out of the front. Are you, do you think you're better off to be able to work out of the back of the boat. I know it's difficult for some people because they're so used to being able to see the trolling motor, all their stuff, everything right there in the front. Is it an advantage to work out of the back? I'm just curious from your standpoint, what you think, you know, because like you were talking about how if you had, let's just say you have a trolling motor with um, USB 2 or whatever it is, the transducer on the front, you could be getting your front reading right there, you know, in the back of the boat and you could be making those adjustments sooner Whereas if you're working in the front of the boat, you're seeing what's on the front of the boat and you're making those adjustments, you're kind of overriding the structure. So if if you were a newer person, would you recommend they start fishing out of the back of the boat? You know, I think that's all personal preference, but you know, the biggest reason why most guides anyway, I, I would say and probably in the 90s percentile, most guides are going to guide out of the back of the boat, plain and simple so that their clients get first crack at the water. And I think that's the reason that we do what we do. I honestly love fishing out of the back of the boat. And, and I guess one of the components to that is, depending on what kind of boat you're in, there's a lot less water movement. So the boat is a lot more stable on the transom, just plain and simple. If you're in big wind, that bow is going to be going up and down. I don't care what boat you're in. So in that aspect, I love the back of the boat. It's a solid, stable platform, and it works for me. I wouldn't uh, necessarily say that it's important to learn fishing out of the back of the boat unless that's what you really want to do and you plan on guiding, I guess. But that's my opinion as well. So I, I don't know. That's a tough question. There's benefits to it. I think I laid out what those are. From there, I can't really expel too much more. I guess another aspect to it is if you're fishing out of the front of the boat, you still need to have electronics up at the front of the boat where in the back of my boat, I can definitely see the console and I can see my electronics right from there. So, but I also say, you know, I run a small unit. It doesn't have to be anything special. I just want to know what the depth is on the bow. That's the other part to the equation. Yep. I would agree. And I mean, I've started to fish out of the back of the boat a little bit more. I, if I fish with my daughter, I just want her to have as much room as she can. Now, if we fish three, I actually got out of the middle of the boat or fish out of the middle of the boat if it's running in my boat. And I guess one thing I, you know, kind of backtracking onto boats and how they set up and one thing like that. The one thing I think people don't always consider is like, so when I bought my Lund, I didn't really love the back of it, just the way it laid out. There was a small spot and I was like, man, if you had to fish out of the back there, that would kind of stink. But one thing you can look at if you're looking at new boats is... Justin Case makes some, I mean, he can literally do anything. I don't want it to sound like a Justin Case commercial because we talked about Bob, you know, a couple episodes back. But if there's a spot in your boat that doesn't work, you, you wish, oh, man, I wish I could stand here 
and it would make fishing out of this spot easier. I wish I had more room up here. You know, you can go talk to, to uh, Bob and he can, he can look at your boat and get you all sorts of different options and different stuff. So maybe you wouldn't need to have so many other different tackle boxes in there. Maybe you'd be able to build you a, a small deck extension. Like that's what I did with my Lund. I built a nice little deck extension in the back because I was like, well, if I'm going to fish out of the back, I want that. So I'm not, you know, worried about falling off this little spot and having to balance in this little spot all day. So just different stuff that people, different products out there that people can be aware of that can help make their experience on the water that much better or their boat. Maybe, like I said, maybe there's this little $3,000 boat. You're like, ah, but I just don't like that spot in the back. It's too small to fish out of. There's an option, a couple hundred bucks, you know, three, two, 300 bucks, Bob can get you something done and it can expand your horizons or your boat or your options or however you want to say it. You can make that boat more user-friendly, I guess I would say. Yeah, and I think that goes for the front of the boat as well, Jeff. I mean, you're talking about the transom side, but the bow as well. I mean, if you want a deck extension so that two guys on the front of the boat have more room, same factor. So Bob's done a really good job with that. Definitely something to investigate if you need more fishing platform in your boat. Plus, you get the tackle storage with it. So it's a really cool option. Yeah, I mean, not just tackle storage. You can build it with trays if you want. You can hold your leaders and your tools and all your stuff. I mean, he can make, literally, he can do whatever he wants. Just like remodeling a kitchen. He can pretty much do that with your boat if you need to. So like I said, just throwing out options. We're just, you know, not necessarily trying to push products because I don't get any commission off of Bob selling another box. It's just a product that we use that helps make our our day on the water better or makes our boat more user-friendly or however you want to say it. So just stuff to think about that you can, you know, these, these things are available to people, you know, to help out their, their time on the water and make it more enjoyable or, you know, help catch more fish. Right. I think one of the things that we should really dive into Jeff is the bow versus, you know, the council when it comes to electronics, <laughs> it's, it's a factor that needs to be considered when you're setting up your boat. And most people are going to fish from the front. It's just the way it is. I mean, that boat is generally rigged and designed for the fishermen to be on the bow. So I would say this, you know, if you're going to fish from the front, in my opinion, your bigger, more powerful electronics are probably more necessary there unless you're a huge troller. I mean, that could be a factor too. But that's your office, if you will. The bow can become your office and you definitely want to have electronics up there that are going to benefit you when it comes to fishing so that's something to definitely consider you know if you're going to fish from the front like i said now you've got electronics on the front you've got electronics at the wheel or at your tiller so those are things that you got to consider you know it's more money but definitely something to think about i personally would recommend when you're setting them up you definitely want them visual to you but you don't need them in the way. So you're going into a figure eight. You definitely don't want to be having to work around those electronics or your, your buddy's coming up to net a fish. You definitely want them out of the way so that net doesn't get hung up on them. So those are factors to consider as you're rigging that boat. When you were going through it and you first started talking, I was like, you're going to want to have the more expensive electronics up front. I was thinking, hmm, unless you're a troller. And then, of course, you hit on that. So, yeah, you're going to want to think about which ways, which ways you go about fishing. You're going to want to have your better unit in the spot that you're going to use the most. And that's not to say that you're not going to change your strategy throughout the course of your, of your time. So maybe you want to look at flexibility too. Like 
can I add an, another unit to this or can I do this to this boat? You know, all things you want to just consider when you're either picking a boat or have your existing boat, you know, because like I said, over time, things might change. There was a period of time where I was really, really big into trolling. I mean, I would troll almost all the time. And then, I don't know, whatever reason, I got out of it. I'm not that I still don't like it. I just don't do as much of it. And so even my own fishing style has changed. So it's just, you know, things are going to change over time. And like I said, it's just you're going to want more more different things you're going to want to think about and how you're going to run your, your, your boats and how you run your units. For me and my Lund, it's not a real big boat. It's only 17 foot. I have my one, I have my one unit by, it's a tiller. So I kind of got to buy the seat. So I, if I'm trolling, I can see the unit really well. But then if I'm casting up front, then I also have a unit right there. But then I also kick the other unit so that I can see it from up front. And since I'm not quite as old as Brad and I don't have really thick glasses yet, I can still see both units from the front. So I still have that advantage, you know, because I'm not 50 yet. I'm only 43, Brad. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. <laughs> Is it? Maybe. I don't know. What do they, what do they say? You're, you're older and wiser or something like that? Yeah, something like that. But honestly, you know, age has never been a factor to me. I don't, I don't care about my age whatsoever. But, you know, it's, it's weird for me. In the past two to three years, you know, I started losing some of that vision. And, man, it's frustrating. When you're on the back deck and you can't really see the two screens that I have at the wheel, you talk about frustrating. So I've made some changes to my boat based upon that. You know, I, I've put stuff at my feet now too. So now I'm buying secondary units just because my vision is going, you know, <laughs> the funny part is, is I've been to the optometrist and they're basically, well, are you okay with cheaters? Yeah, I'm okay with it. Well then just keep wearing them. So I, I'm getting to the point now though, a year later that I think I probably should go see the eye doctor one more time. Glasses are in my near future, I think. But so those are factors, though, and I think it's important that you know you, you got to be able to physically see your units, or what good are they? You know what I mean. And so when you're when you're mounting them, it's definitely a key factor. Not only are you gonna you have to physically see them, but you also need to know what they're capable of. You know, so a lot of people put these things in full auto and and they run, and they're like they're only getting part of the picture. But that's a whole we can't go down that topic right now. Otherwise, we're gonna be here you know, until noon or longer. So, but those are yeah, all th different things. I, I think we touched on that, you know, becoming efficient, not only with your boat, but also with your electronics. And, you know, I think it's really funny because a lot of times younger people, they're not afraid to dive into that and start playing with settings where some of the older people I, I talk to, they're like, well, I, I don't want to change the settings, you know, because what am I going to do if it, I don't like it? Well, you keep playing with it until you figure it out. And you got to remember one thing. You can always go back to the original platform. So I encourage everybody, don't be afraid of the unit. Start playing with it, and it's the best way to learn. You can read all the information, this and that. But at the end of the day, don't be afraid to change stuff because you can always reset your unit to go back to its original platform. Yep. Okay, so is there something you want to talk about on that end of it yet, Brad? I'm just kind of looking, I'm just kind I mean, of looking at your notes, and I think you know, aside from like going into, you know, today's electronic stuff, I think that you're pretty good on there. You know, aside from like if we go, and then we start looking at, 
you know, Dave's notes with, you know, boat controls and all that stuff. I mean, I think we can go on a whole different way, but as far as like boats and like front setup, are we good or not? Yeah. I mean, honestly, Jeff, you know, I think we should reiterate, listen, you know, there's so much personal preference to this. I, I worry that, I worry about this because they're going to go, well, they really didn't dive into boat setup. I mean, it's, there's so many personal preferences to that. And like I said, in the beginning, you have five different riggers. They're going to have five different opinions. You know what I mean? Well, let's just I, throw it out there. We'll say, you know, we could say like, okay, so obviously we know we can't dive into it so deep as far as boat setup, because there's a lot of personal preference, but if you guys have specific questions you want us to answer on a future podcast, just send us an email and we can try to answer those questions specifically. I, that would be perfect. All right. So, and then as I think we're getting, I mean, we're at probably uh we're at a minute and or an hour and 15 of record time, almost 16. We probably got four minutes of stuff that's coming out. So we're, even if it's six, we're going to put us at about an hour and 10, you know, plus whatever edits I do, which I don't think will be a ton. So should we probably, you know, go over that kind of deal? Like I'll say, you know, if you guys are looking for specific information on front deck setup or you know, whatever, shoot us an email or post us a question on Facebook or Instagram and we'll sure. try to get at it on a future podcast. Yeah, that sounds good. And then are you ready to go into um, signing out for the day? Yeah. Okay. Are you, you, you want to do that, Carrie? <laughs> I'll do it, I guess. Okay. So, Brad, I know that we can't go over you know, all the details on a front setup, because a lot of it is personal preference and a lot of it is, you know, specific to your boat. But if you, if anybody that's listening has a, has a question that they want, you know, if you guys have a specific, you know, Hey, this is what I'm trying to accomplish or whatever, shoot us an email backlash podcast at gmail.com or shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram. And then we'll try to answer some of those questions on future podcasts. We'll maybe even try to get you an answer, you know, right there. But Again, you know, with our other businesses, typically the backlash podcast stuff will sometimes get pushed off a little bit. We don't intentionally try to ignore people, but it's just um, it's kind of a, just a little side project that we play around with, and we're just trying to get information out to you know to everybody. Just trying to get you to enjoy the sport more. I guess is pretty much what we're doing, and you know, enjoying it would mean catching more fish or having a more enjoyable time. So that's sort of what we're doing here. You guys have anything else you want to add to this podcast? Well, you know, Jeff, I, I think. You, you touched on it. I mean, talking about boat setup, that's a pretty in-depth conversation. And I, I think that a lot of times, um, because it is a personal preference, I mean, those, those questions are so broad at this point. And to be able to actually answer each one of those specifically is not going to be easy. So I think uh, we put it back on the listeners to, if they got a specific question, Give us a shout out. Like you said, we'll try to make sure that we can answer those questions or point them in a direction where they can get them answered. So with that being said, we want to thank everybody for listening to this week's episode of Backlash Podcast. Brad or Carrie, why don't you guys talk a little bit about Muskie Mayhem Tackle? Well, it's Muskie Mayhem Tackle that Carrie and I both own, and we are the proud manufacturers of the original big bladed flasher boo baits. Definitely proud of that. You can find us at muskymayhemtackle.com. You can find us both on Facebook as well as Instagram and also on our YouTube channel. So take a look if you have interest. We love hearing from our customers and we appreciate and value them all. One other thing is, is that I 
also has started, I think I started in December, an Instagram page for my guide service, and that is Musky Mayhem Guide Service on Instagram. Yeah, and for some reason, he's always at White Castle. I don't know what that's about either, Brad. What's the deal? There's a lot of fish that hang out around White Castle. There are, and some terrible hamburgers and stuff too, so... <laughs> <laughs> And again, you're listening to Backlash Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, which I think is like they have an actual podcast app on your phone. And then you can, I think it's called Google Podcast now. It used to be called Google Play. iHeartRadio, uh, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast. I think that pretty much covers most of them. TuneIn Radio, I think, is another one. There's a bunch of different places you can find the podcast. We have an Instagram page. Go check it out. I've been trying to put up a little more content. I think Carrie's done a little bit with it, too. We also have a Facebook page. You can go check that out. And if you have questions, shoot us an email, backlashpodcast at gmail.com. We'll try to answer them on a future episode. And I'm Jeff again with Team Rhino Outdoors. And we have a, we're a retailer in the Muskie world who carries products from almost all the major manufacturers. And we're continuing to add product weekly, sometimes daily. We typically are a custom, you know, we're, we're mostly known for custom colors. That's kind of our deal. So if you're looking to find something that not everybody has, you know, come check us out. We also carry those things that a lot of other people carry too. If you want a black and nickel cowgirl, we have it. If you want, I don't know, some stock colors in Suix, we have those too. And I think that's it. It's another week of Backlash Podcast. I don't know what episode this one is. I want to guess it's 55, but I'm not positive. I'm never 100% positive until Carrie sends me the picture. And we just want to thank everybody for listening. You know, quite honestly, we can't we can't thank everybody enough for listening to the podcast. We can't thank everybody enough for shopping at Team Rhino Outdoors. We can't thank you enough for coming out to Muskie Mayhem Tackle and supporting them. Honestly, none of this stuff is possible without our customers in we I know we say it, but we really truly mean it that we thank you all for the support, especially during this time. So thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all next Wednesday. <laughs>